0: Well, good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 will be at the end of chapter 4 today, starting verse 21. And the question this text has been begging of us is this Are you a slave or are you a son? Are you a slave or are you a son? Do you want to live under the yoke of the bondage of slavery? Or do you want to live in freedom? Are you bound in chains, serving a harsh and never satisfied master? Or do you want the love and blessings of a kind father? That's the issue the Apostle Paul has been addressing in chapter 4 of Galatians. And it connects back to the larger theme of the book concerning our identity in Christ. Slave versus child, or son or daughter. And are you seeking to find your identity as a child of God through Jewish law-keeping? Or are you confident in your identity as a child of God through faith in Christ alone? We learned at the end of chapter 3 that there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. We then saw early in chapter 4 that before we trusted in Christ, we were slaves to the elementary principles of this world, the evils of this world. Did you know that? Did you know that without faith in Christ, you're a slave to the evil spirits of this world? There's a lot of people that don't understand that. Ephesians 2 expands on that even more by explaining that we serve the prince of the power of the air before we have faith in Christ. That's actually meaning we serve Satan, we serve the devil. So before faith in Christ, you are a slave to the devil. Whether you understand it or not, that is what you are. You're the devil's slave. That may be a shocking truth for some of you to realize today. But through the grace of God, he has saved us through our faith in Christ. And God has given us his spirit in our hearts, enabling us to cry out to God as our loving father, even to call out to Daddy, Abba, Father, it says, because of his spirit that he's given us in our hearts. And so through faith in Christ, you are a child of God. You have been set free from the bondage of slavery to the devil, and you are in the family of God. That's worth rejoicing over. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. You're a child of God, and you're no longer a slave to the things of this world. Now, in our text today, Paul makes his strongest argument about this truth, and he does so by explaining it from the scriptures. He gives us an explanation and an illustration, or an allegory is what it's called, from the family of Abraham as recorded in the book of Genesis. And so we're going to go and take a look at that. So let's dig into our text today, starting uh, Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 21. It says this, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according through." the cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so this illustration from Abraham's family and the comparisons of the covenants It's given to us to persuade us not to follow legalism into slavery, but instead to follow Sarah and Isaac into freedom. So let's talk about what freedom is. What is freedom? Well, full freedom is what you have when you have no lack of opportunity, no lack of ability, and no lack of desire to do what will make you happiest in a thousand years. Think about that. I'll say it again. Full freedom is what you have when you have no lack of opportunity, no lack of ability, and no lack of desire to do what will make you happiest in a thousand years. Long, long term. So if any one of those things is missing, you are not fully free. So I was thinking, what's a good example of this? You could think of examples like you know, scuba diving or going down a roller coaster or something like that. Like those are dangerous types of examples. But then I was thinking, what's an example that hits a lot more close to home? Well, you know, coming to church is a good example. <laughs> coming to church is a good example. You have opportunity, we're open. We're gathering together. Hundreds of churches all across this area, thousands across our land. There's opportunity everywhere in this nation to go to church. Especially in this town. (laughs) This is a seminary town. There's churches everywhere. So you have opportunity. You have ability. You can get in a car and come. In other countries in the world, they walk for five miles. They have ability. They will literally walk with no shoes on for five miles or more sometimes to worship and have fellowship. Here we don't have to walk, you know, half a block (laughs) in most cases. So we have ability. So that's two. Then the third is desire. Desire. And some of us are here because we're hungry for God in our souls. And we're thirsty for fellowship with other believers. And so we're very happy to be here. We have the desire. And others are here because you feel like you have to come. Like you just feel like you ought to, like it's the thing you're supposed to do for various reasons. Maybe mom and dad just make you come. <laughs> and it's what you do. And you're not exactly happy, so the desire part's not there. So yes, you're free to be here, but are you fully free? Uh, no, not if the desire is not there. So you're not fully free in that regard. So if you're missing any one of those three things, opportunity, ability, desire, you're not fully free. And that's what our text is going to get to the heart of today. Now, the Apostle Paul wants every believer in Christ to experience full freedom in Christ and live the Christian life in that freedom. Now, unfortunately, a lot of professing Christians lack this freedom in their lives as they try to keep the commandments of Christ. They don't really delight to do them. They feel some uncomfortable constraints like social pressures, or fear of hell, or maybe desire to impress someone. So they go through the outward motions of obedience, but the desire of their heart is fixed somewhere else. They don't really enjoy the freedom of desire which Christ gives when he's being formed in the heart. True Christians are the freest people in the world. And Paul is fighting with all his might in Galatians to expose the teaching of the Judaizers for what it really is. It's slavery. For Paul, the experience of freedom is not icing on the cake of Christianity. No. Freedom in Christ is Christianity. It's a matter of eternity. And that's the first point of his allegory. And so let's look And let's see if we can understand it and strengthen our stand in our freedom today. Look at verse 21. We'll go line by line, verse by verse. verse. 21. He says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Or other translations would say, "Do do you not hear the law? In verse 21, Paul simply says that those who are turning back to the law of Moses as a job description for how to earn the wages of blessing from God should just listen to what the law says. His problem with the Judaizers is is not that they're Jewish. No, his problem is that they're they're not Jewish enough. They're not keeping the full law, and you'll see that in, uh, in chapter six. It says those that demand circumcision of you, they don't even keep the whole law. So his problem with them is that they're just not Jewish enough. Not that they're Jewish. Paul himself was a Jew. And he never surrendered his allegiance to the law. But let's see what it teaches about freedom. What does the law teach about freedom? Let us hear what the law says. Look at verse 22. And now he's going back to Genesis. Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now let's go back To Genesis 15. Turn back there. Genesis 15 to see what happened with Abraham and Sarah. Genesis 15. Go way, way back to the first book. You really need to know your Old Testament. Because that's what we see preached in the New Testament. (laughs) Genesis 15. going to summarize, but you can kind of glance through it as I'm summarizing <clears throat> in Genesis 15. Look in Genesis 15:5. Actually, a little bit before that, Abraham is lamenting that he has no son, no children. You see that at the beginning. God says, your reward will be, will be very great. Abraham says, well, how? I have no children. I have no offspring. All I have is Eliezer to be my Eliezer of Damascus, to be my heir. You can see that in verse 2. You've given me no offspring, verse 3. How, God, how? Abraham's lamenting. He's having a conversation with God, and he's crying out to God. He's like, I hear your promise, God, but I don't understand. I mean, come on. No children. How are you going to do it? It's not possible. He's lamenting. He has no children. And then you can see in verse 5. He brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, God said, so shall your offspring be. And look at verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord and he counted counted it to him as righteousness. And so here we see Genesis 15. God makes a covenant promise to Abraham. He will bless Abraham with so many children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. You won't even be able to count them all. Try if you can. You won't be able to. Have you all ever been somewhere where you could really see the stars? You can, you can do that out west a little easier than you can here. You're not in your head, you know. So we went to Yellowstone a, a, about a year and a half ago, turned off the lights on the headlights of the car, and we just looked up. And talk about not being able to count the stars. And and every one of those is like a galaxy if you zoom in, and there's thousands upon thousands more in there. You can't count them all. So as Abraham looks up at the sky, that's what he's seeing. There's more light than darkness up there. (laughs) It's truly astounding. That's the image we have here. You, You won't be able to count them all. And so what a promise, what a blessing from God. Then in Genesis, 6, Genesis 16, we see what happens next. See what happens next. Amazing how quickly things can go south. So Abraham and Sarah grow old, and they still have no children. They, and, and here they both have a lapse of faith. You saw a great faith of Abraham before. Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness, strong faith, But here they have a lapse of faith. Sarah convinces Abraham to take her slave, Hagar, as a wife. Because they've had no children. So take Hagar as a wife and have children by my slave, Hagar. Now this was a common custom of that time. And so Abraham and Sarah have a lapse of faith. And this happens. Abraham agrees. Hagar conceives and has a son named Ishmael. You can read about that in chapter 16. Now Ishmael is the son of the slave woman Hagar, born according to the flesh. Ishmael is the slave-born son. He is born according to the flesh. Now what that means, being born according to the flesh, means that he was a product of self-reliance. Now get that. He's a product of self-reliance. He's a product of what humans can do without relying on God. And we can do a lot without relying on God. We can get some things done. and So that's what's happening here. Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, they rely on their own efforts to have Ishmael. There's nothing really supernatural about that. Now, Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. He's an old guy. 86 years old. So you can see why he would have maybe a little trouble with his faith at that point. 86 years old, God, no children. We got to help God out a little bit. Don't we do that though sometimes? We like, we know, God, I know you you want me to do this, but it's just not happening as quickly as I think it should happen. So God, I'm gonna help you out a little bit. Not a good idea. (laughs) Not a good idea. Disaster happens here. Okay, so then 14 years later, 14 years later, so now Abraham's 100. In Genesis 17, God says to Abraham that his wife, Sarah, will have a son. God intends to fulfill his promise in a way that removes all ground for boasting, it's going to be all God, all about God here. There's no way anyone's going to be able to boast. He's going to show his power. Abraham's a 100. So in, verses, uh, in, in Genesis 17 and verses 17 through 19, you can say, see this. Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? So, you know, some people would say, well, you know, back in those days, people lived longer, and that's how they were able to, you know, have kids at that age, et cetera. No, they both knew it. They're laughing at God. Imagine God tells you a promise, and you're you just like, you're just laughing at him. <laughs> God, how are you going to do that? That's impossible. And God's like, I got this. Let me just show you how I'm going to handle this. And he does it. So they laugh, both of them. Abraham said to God, see, Abraham really doesn't think this. He's like, oh, Ish, that Ishmael might live in thy sight. He's like, just use Ishmael. God, we have a, ch- we have a child, Ishmael. Just, just fulfill your promise through Ishmael, Abraham says. How can Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? He might have even been afraid for her life. I can't imagine the emotions that they're feeling over this. What does God say? No. (laughs) No. Don't we we say that to our children sometimes when they're pleading with us, making a case? They're like, no, that's not what we're going to do. And they think that they're right, and they think they know it, and they think that's the right way, and we look at them right in the face, and we say, no, not going to do it that way. That's not what's best for you. No, God says, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And Isaac in the Hebrew means he laughs. He laughs. It's about laughing, because they laughed. (laughs) God rejects what Abraham was able to produce on his own, and he promises again that in spite of Abraham's age, he will have a son by his own wife, Sarah. So later on in Genesis 21, you can flip to there. Genesis 21, verse 1, you'll see it. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised And Isaac was not born according to the flesh because his birth was a result of God's supernatural intervention in fulfillment of his own promise. Isaac is the son of the free woman. Sarah, born according to promise. Born according to the promise of God. Brothers and sisters, God keeps his promises. And he's teaching us a lot of patience along the way. So when we don't feel like God's keeping his promises in our life, we just need to wait and trust and have faith because he keeps his promises. Abraham had learned this, his lesson. The only acceptable response to God's merciful promise is to trust in that promise not works of the flesh that try to bring down God's blessings with our own efforts. So, in Galatians, back to Galatians, in verse, chapter 4, verse 23, it sums up the story. The, the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, the son of the free woman through promise. Now, those are the facts. And so it's important for us to understand the facts. Now comes the allegory that these facts teach us. So you can go back to Galatians, and we're now in chapter uh, 4, verse 24. Those events, those historical events, teach us some truths today. Look at verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is in Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So you see these contrasts here. There's contrast between Hagar and Sarah, Ishmael and Isaac. Present Jerusalem, Jerusalem from above. The the Sinai covenant, promise to Abraham. You're seeing these contrasts and he's drawing out what they mean to us today. They have meaning. And so how is Hagar like the Sinai covenant? How is she like the giving of the law? Well, Hagar gave birth to Ishmael according to the flesh. This is what people can do when relying on themselves. There was nothing supernatural about it. We saw that. This is like the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. If you remember that from the book of Exodus, the people heard the law given. There was the thundering on the mountain, and Moses came and gave them the law. He gave them the law. There was sacrifice made. There was blood shed. He even threw some of the blood on them. So this was a a serious scene. They heard all of the law proclaimed, and you you remember what their response there was? Instead of crying out to God for help, to have the holiness to keep it from their hearts, you remember what they did? They boldly declare, everything written in the law we will do, Exodus 24, verse 3. Pride in their hearts, yes, everything you just said we will do. And it was a pretty good list. It was more than just the Ten Commandments. <laughs> it, was, it was an extensive list of things to do, and they pridefully shout out, everything written in the law we will do, exclamation point. But they had no heart to rely on God for the help to do them. Just like Hagar, they depended on their own abilities and they begat the son of legalism. Just as the child born of the flesh from Abraham and Hagar will not inherit, so the child of legalism will also not inherit. This is a very close parallel. And by the way, not too long after that, they made the golden calf to worship. It was less than a month later. Couldn't even make it a month. Making a golden calf. So, Hagar also corresponds to the present Jerusalem. So she corresponds to the Sinai Covenant. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem because she is in bondage to slavery with her children. This is a direct attack on the Judaizers and legalists since they come from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. We saw that in chapter 2. And they teach self-reliance in keeping the law. And so what he's saying is don't follow the legalists that come from Jerusalem. Don't do that. They'll make slaves out of you. And just as he's teaching that to the churches in Galatia, he's teaching it to us as well. The same is true today. There are many who will work to convince you to follow them into their legalism. I have seen it a lot. And it's so subtle, isn't it? And it sounds so good. Don't follow them. Don't follow them into that legalism. I'm going to give some examples of that later. So that's Hagar. Now, Paul turns to Sarah. Now, he doesn't name her by name, but it's clearly implied. He says, the Jerusalem above, she is our mother. She is free. So he's contrasting the present Jerusalem, who is in slavery, with the one that is above. She is free. Now, I thought about Colossians 3 as I read this. Colossians 3 says this, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above. The Jerusalem above is the abode of God. Out of that Jerusalem where God is, comes the power to make children of that new Jerusalem. The power that makes citizens of the new Jerusalem comes from heaven, not our earthly strength. Look at verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Verse 28, Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. He's quoting Isaiah 54:1 here. Sarah represents this Jerusalem above because of God's divine intervention in her life. And all who believe in Christ have real life through divine intervention, just like Isaac. You trust in Jesus, you are a child of promise. And you can rest in that today. We have become children of God through a work of the Spirit in us, in fulfillment of God's promise. That is the pattern set up for how you become a Christian. It's a supernatural work of God in our hearts, and it's how he keeps his promise. So rejoice in this truth. Rejoice in it today. Feel the joy of this in your hearts, brothers and sisters. You are a child of promise. Verse 9, or verse 29. Just as at that time... he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. Now in Genesis 21 we see what Paul's talking about here. If you still had your finger back there in Genesis, you'd see it. You can flip back to see it. Genesis 21 verses 8 and 9, we see as the children grew, as the child grew, that's Isaac. So Isaac's born, he grows up a little bit. And he was weaned. that means he's not nursing from his mother anymore. so he's probably you know around three years old. We've had some kids go longer than that <laughs> So he's maybe between three and six ish depending on that. Now Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. We feel like doing that too sometimes man it's a <laughs> Nursing mothers, man, it's tough, tiring work. So Isaac is growing up, he's weaned, he's growing up. There's a big feast, verse 9, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham laughing. So there's Ishmael, and he's laughing. Now the word used there, it carries a meaning of mocking. So he's not just over in the corner laughing, you know, looking at his phone found something funny, laughing. No, that's not the the situation here. He's doing something in a negative way. Some sort of mocking. Like he might be making fun of Ishmael. So here's, uh, uh, he might be making fun of Isaac. So here's Ishmael. Now, Ishmael would be around 17 years old at this time. He's not just a little kid playing around. He knows what he's doing. And so here he is. He's mocking his three-year-old little half-brother at Isaac's party. Now that didn't go well for anyone. And the events, they fit the situation, the illustration in our text. Just as at that time, the one born of the flesh, Ishmael, mocks and persecutes the free child, Isaac, so it is with the Judaizers in the churches in Galatia. Those legalists, they were mocking and persecuting believers who didn't keep the law and undergo circumcision. They are making them feel bad about themselves, like they're not true worshipers of God. you got to do these things, they would say, to be true worshipers of God. And so they were mocking them, they were persecuting them, trying to lead them into their legalism. They boasted in their keeping of Torah, and persecuted others who didn't follow them. And you know, that still goes on today, doesn't it? Maybe not with Jewish law-keeping, necessarily in our context, but it does go on. I see it in our church culture today. We persecute others who don't share our opinions on political views. Or we judge others who don't share our convictions concerning what we eat or what we wear or the entertainment we consume. We judge others who don't worship like we do or have customs that we don't understand. You know, we're guilty of that. And I see that in churches all over the place. And they'll subtly lead you into their legalism like, you know, you should be wearing these types of clothes. You should be. Having this type of covering on your head, perhaps, or you should be worshiping on the true Sabbath, the Saturday, not on a Sunday. That's all wrong. And if you would just do these things, then you know that's the right way. All these charitable gray area types of convictions. Not things we talk about in the Apostles' Creed. That's a good way of testing that. You know, do you see it in the Apostles' Creed? Those are the essentials. Those are the things you want to, like, have some debates over. That's the the ground you need to stand firm in. These other things, they're charitable things that we can bear with one another in. We don't have to condemn each other about those things. But that's what they were doing, and that's what goes on sometimes in the church today. And that comes from a root of pride. Pride is at the root of all of that. We're prideful in our hearts about our convictions and the way of walking with God, and we look down on others who don't practice the same. So brothers and sisters, guard your hearts against pride. It is evil, and it will divide us quicker than you can ever imagine. So guard your heart against pride. Because in our minds we think we're earning favor with God through these practices. And so you know what it is for you. Maybe it's church going or giving or serving in a certain way. You know what it is in your life. We all have pride in our hearts. And we got we need God's help every day to root it out. Like weeding in a garden. Just just root it out. You ever weed in a garden? You know, you start pulling on a weed. You're like, oh, I got that little one, that's a little one. And you think that's a little one, and you start pulling it, and boy, that root, man, that thing, you could follow that for three feet sometimes. You're like, goodness. How, I had no idea that thing went three or four feet over there. That's what it is in our hearts. That's what sin is like in our hearts. You start picking those little things out, and you're like, ooh, that went a lot deeper than I thought. God help me. God help me. God knows our hearts. And so let's be motivated by love, humility, and service. Turn away from working from a a heart of pride and effort to show God and others how great we are. God's not impressed with how great we are, brothers and sisters. He's not. Look at verse 30 back in Galatians 4. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. He's quoting Genesis 21, where Sarah said that. Cast out this slave woman with her son. So she sees Ishmael mocking Isaac, and she's like, no way. Not have anything to do with this. He's gone. Out of here. Cast out. Out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Now that seems really harsh. That seems really harsh. What is loving about that? But they had it all wrong from the beginning. That was not God's plan, not God's promise. God's word is clear. Those slave born children working to keep the law will not inherit Now, he, God did take care of Ishmael, but he didn't inherit the promise the way Isaac did. Those working to keep the law will not inherit. They are not sons. They are slaves. Their works will not earn them the inheritance. And so cast out the slave woman. The same could apply to our, our lives today. Cast out the thinking and practice of legalism in our lives. There's no place for it in a child of promise. No place for it at all. Cast it out. Verse 31, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. If we are Isaac types, we are free. We're not slaves. Now, is there anyone who doesn't want freedom? Is there anyone in here today that says, I want to be the slave-born child? I want to be the slave. Can you just sign me up for the slavery, please? No, nobody thinks like that. We want freedom. But why don't the legalists have freedom? Well, they lack the desire. We go back to opportunity, ability, desire. They lack the desire to rest in God's promises. Instead, they're controlled by the desire to show their own resourcefulness. They don't desire to be controlled by God. They want God on their own terms. They want control. They want God's blessings, but they want them on their own terms. They rely on their own resources and don't want to depend on God for salvation. They want to depend on their own efforts and show their own greatness. It reminds me of the parable Jesus told in Luke 18. He told this parable, Jesus did, to some who trusted in themselves. Now I want you to listen carefully, because we are just like this Pharisee if we're not careful. This is Luke 18, starting at verse 9. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this way, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He beat his breast, cried out to God for mercy, God. I am a sinner. Be merciful to me. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than that Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. They don't want to stand before God as a humble little child in complete dependence. The legalizers, the Judaizers, they want to show how great they are. They don't believe the words of the song, Jesus loves me. Remember that one? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. And they don't believe those words. No, they think they're strong and good on their own power. And so they don't want to live like a child of promise. <coughs> they think they're strong and good on their own power. The children of promise have been born from above. We have been born of the Spirit. We know we are weak, but he is strong. You know, Christianity, the essence of it, is the miracle of new birth in your life. It's the miracle of new birth in your life. It's not a do-it-yourself religion that anyone can do if they're strong enough. That's not what Christianity is. There is no salvation without a sovereign work of God in your heart. Children of promise desire God in the depths of our souls. Children of promise aren't gritting it out, keeping the word of God every day like a task list. We're not just gritting it out, pushing through, getting our task list for God done. That's not the Christian life. We cry out like the tax collector in Luke 18, Lord, have mercy on my soul. Our choicest food, our deepest desire is to do the will of Christ from a heart of love and joy. We don't operate from this cruddy heart painted over with good works. That's not how it goes. No, we operate from a heart That God has changed and cleansed and desires him more than anything in the world. And so we'll end with chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so let's cast out the pride of legalism in our lives. Cast it out. And enjoy the total freedom we have in Christ, and let's stand firm in it. Let's not go back to being a slave. That life is over. So when someone tries to draw you in with their, you know, just do these things, and, you know, you'll be better with God if you do, you just remember that is the path to slavery. Look back on that and say, no. No way I'm going back to the chains and the yoke of slavery in my life. No. And if you haven't trusted Jesus in your life, that's where you are. You are a slave. So I beg you today if you haven't trusted in the Lord, trust Him today and be free. Be free. Cry out to him and trust him for your salvation and be free today. Be freed from slavery and live in the freedom of Christ. And for those of us that have trusted Christ, let's stand firm in our freedom. Let's cast out the thinking of legalism. And let's find rest for our souls in Christ. And wholeheartedly enjoy the freedom that we have in him.